going to uh, be here. Uh, earlier this week, I actually had a dinner with a couple of friends of mine. Um, I'm really glad to actually have that dinner um, because I thought this area is called Greenwich. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, during the dinner, people were asking me, so what are you going to do this week? And I was telling them, yeah, you know, I'm invited to speak at a church in Greenwich Village <laughs> and after a couple of times they're like Josh <laughs> and I keep saying it over and over again well my slide actually comes from the fact that I um, actually I, I I came to the state when I was 11 uh, so 35 years ago but still you know after 35 years you would think all your pronunciation all your accent will be corrected but every now and then it comes up it's interesting because uh, my wife um, was, you know, born and raised in the state. She's like, she has like a perfect grammar. And, um, she's a lawyer, by the way. But, and I don't. So that's just funny. It together. Um, anyhow, uh, glad to be here at Greenwich uh, Church. <laughs> so we are in the Lenten season, as you know. And as we wait to celebrate the Resurrection Sunday, a week from today, as Pastor Nick mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. And uh, I've actually prepared like a lot of background about Palm Sunday, but I think throughout uh, the service, it was already mentioned, so I'm going to shorten that. But today is the day Jesus made an entry to Jerusalem on a donkey. We are told that he was greeted uh, with high praises and people greeted with branches of palm trees as you have today. Uh, Palm Sunday is also the beginning of his passion, his suffering, a week in which he suffered, and at the end of the week, he was crucified on the cross. You know, in his earthly ministry, Jesus demonstrated many miracles and power of God uh, through the area of Galilee and Judea in his, during his ministry, and people uh, had this expectation uh, that Jesus would enter and come in a form of power and um, and, and, and some kind of force. But, you know, he, we're told that he entered Jerusalem on a donkey. It's not a really a big horse or something that you would expect from a king to enter. One would say, a matter of fact, the cross shouts Jesus as king of Israel. The excitement, however, uh, for those that are familiar with the story and which was mentioned earlier in the service, it, it, it quickly takes a very wild turn as Jesus gets arrested in a few days and he's been convicted, he's been indicted of crimes he didn't commit and he suffers beating and humiliation by his people who turns their back on him, who once called him Hosanna, a savior. This morning, um, we will look at the passage from the Old Testament, Isaiah, who prophesies about our Jesus Christ to fulfill the role of suffering servants. Today's text is from Book of Isaiah. We read from 52, 13 to 53, 12. I don't know why the chapter is broken out that way. As Pastor mentioned, <laughs> that last three verse should have really included in a, a chapter 53, but whatever the case, you know, the Bible wasn't written with chapters originally. So here we have, uh, we read from 52 and 53. Now, some actually have, uh, so this text describes the service, suffering, exaltation of the servant of the Lord, Messiah, the Savior Jesus Christ. However, some have argued that this is not actually the servant of the Lord mentioned in this book, in this passage, is not referring to Christ. Uh, since no name Jesus is attached to it, it's not directly mentioned. Um, however, many also agree that no other character and description of the suffering servant fits better than Jesus himself. And in fact, many New Testament writers and apostles alludes and quotes this passage to testify Jesus Christ as the long-awaited Savior. The passage in Luke, for example, there's a story of Ethiopian eunuch, a rather strange passage that is, in which eunuch in this, it was, reads a passage from Isaiah. And the scene has that Philip was there uh, somehow um, and hears him reading uh, this passage. Uh, by the way, back in the days, um, the reading silently, like the Bible, wasn't a thing. You usually read it out loud. 
it's a, it's a more modern thing for us to have the, the scripture and have to read it to ourselves. But so back then, you tend to read these things out aloud. And um, Philip, not that he was eavesdropping, someone was reading, so he heard, and it's like, oh, this guy's reading from Old, pa- or, you know, Old Testament. Or, um, and, um, and asked this eunuch, hey, like, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch replied, well, no, I actually don't know what I'm reading, you know. But in, in that instance, um, Philip uh, quotes Isaiah 53 to explain that this passage is about Jesus Christ himself. Um, and use the use the use another um, if, uh, another uh, uh, a verse uh, from uh, from Matthew uh, that Jesus had the understanding of who he was in in, in the context of servant when he said the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many to say that Jesus had an understanding of himself both as servant and as one who died in the place of others. Uh, just as Isaiah does in this passage. Mm. So this passage is commonly referred by the biblical scholars as Isaiah's four servant songs. Isaiah, in this passage, prophesies the coming of the servant of the Lord, who will suffer for and behalf of a rebellious Israel, God's people, to reconcile them to God and bring salvation to people from every nation on earth. Clearly, the essence of the gospel message And Jesus Christ, who is likely the servant of the Lord, is in purview in this passage. Simply put, the passage is about Jesus Christ, who suffers on our behalf, who on Palm Sunday, who today triumphantly entered Jerusalem, only to be stoned and put to death just a few days later. If you really think about it, though, something doesn't add up here, or does it? Why would a Savior have to suffer? Why would a man with the arm of the Lord being revealed have to suffer? Common sense is that one who liberates, one who frees is one with the force and power. It always has always been that case throughout the history. You have to have an army, you have to have a power in order to freeze others, in order to conquer. But here we're told that salvation will come through a suffering servant, through the vulnerability, through the weakness. Uh, let's look at the passage a little more closely to understand how this suffering accomplished salvation and ultimately how is he exalted? How is this lowly servant exalted? Servant of the, of the Lord, according to this passage, must suffer for the sake of others. Oh, why? This uh, passage you look at closely, actually, it's divided into five stanzas of three verses each. And that will help you to understand better. Sometimes Old Testament is hard to grasp at first. So if you look at it three verses each, it will help you uh, to understand a little better. And first line of each uh, section, it gives summary of that section. Um, and in fact, actually, first three verses, of chapter 53, 13 to 15, gives a summary of the whole passage the servant of the song let's look at 52 uh, 13 to 15 this is this is an overview of what isaiah wants to prophesy it's about the exaltation of jesus christ it's about the suffering of jesus christ and again it ends with exaltation this section is not just important for the book of Isaiah, but, in top, uh, but the book of the Bible. The three verses here summarizes and gives an overview of who Jesus is and why he came and what he accomplished on the cross. It says that this wise servant will be highly exalted, and we'll look at why he's wise in a little bit. But before he is raised, lifted up, and highly exalted, he must go through the humiliation of suffering wisely succeed wisely succeed we'll tie it into the end but wisely because he's always obedient to god's will he makes choices not based on his own own um, selfish reasons but he always seeks the wisdom of god i want to ask you and uh, this question did you know or do you know that jesus christ 
has died for you and I. No, really, I do want to ask you, do you know that Jesus really has died for you and I so that we may have a life that is free from the guilt and shame of sin in our lives? And this is the reason why the servant is highly exalted, because Jesus died for not for his own sake, but for the sake of others. You know, when you do something noble for selfish reason, <laughs> not that tall. <laughs> um, one doesn't get a praise, right? When you always, oh, I did something good. When you tell other friends, like they'll be like, oh, good for you, good for you. But I don't know if they'll be really actually praising you. If you're always like, oh, I did this, I did this. When you do something noble for selfish reasons, you don't get a praise. But when you do something really good, really good for others, intentionally, out of compassion and out of empathy, you are praised, no? By the way, the word here in the scripture that raised, lifted up, and highly exalted in the original Hebrew language are roughly synonymous verbs, and only time the phrase is used in the Old Testament is when they are describing God. So here, we have to think about the suffering servant here is described having the characteristic of God. In other words, the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, that is, in, that is in perfect here, is highly exalted because he is God. Who can be truly highly exalted but for the Lord God himself? Isaiah, in this, uh, in this passage, in this particular section, says that before the servant of God is exalted, glorified, the servant he is disfigured, he is marred beyond human resemblance by violent, brutal acts that are inhumane. Isaiah then goes on and says here that um, um, there seems to immediately, there seems to be no immediate connection between this figure uh, and this uh, disfiguration and sprinkle of nation. When you look at the verses uh, 14 and 15, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so mere beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Immediately, there seems to be no real connection between the suffering and the sprinkle of nations. And we'll see that how this gets tied in in a little bit. Somehow, Isaiah says that. It is, it is through this humiliated and disfigured servant that God is going to do something to people of all nations. When we look at the Bible, we always have to think in terms of what it meant for the original hearers, right? Because it was written originally for the original hearers. And for the Hebrews, for the Israelites, this sprinkle, uh, the word sprinkle, it, it actually... Um, has a, uh, has a definitive meaning that they can relate to. It is easier for maybe for, for them to grasp or make some intuitive connection. As a sprinkle, this word sprinkle, you know, sacrificial undertone for how the sins of the people are forgiven, cleanse of those in the, in the Old Testament context. You know, the blood sacrifice, that was on the cleanse, the rites. And for those of us that have all testament, Old, new, old and new. Um, there's a passage in Philippians 2, 9, 11 that says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Somehow, somehow, this servant, the servant that, that will suffer greatly, he will bring some sort of blessing to all nations. But before this exaltation and glory, Jesus, this Christ, the servant of the Lord, must render the service of suffering. And that's what we're going to see in, in 53, uh, verse 1 to 3. And this is a second standard. We are told more about the suffering servant. 
first, we observe from the form of question that people don't always recognize. Where they say, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In a form of question, it is saying that people are not going to recognize who he is with. <laughs> I'm very proud. <laughs> the segue, only when I actually like, not only, but when I became a parent, I had a slightly different understanding of the Father's heart, the love, and the sacrifice, which I'll get to in a little bit. Um, um, but, um, I think that this friction away. Um, <laughs> it says that people don't always readily recognize Jesus as well. Uh, as someone with power, someone with the grace, power, someone with power, and someone with grace. Scripture makes it clear that in this servant, the arm of the Lord is revealed. The arm of the Lord, you know, I have to look, I have to look it up, but what it is, is it actually referring to the power of God. It's a biblical way of saying, with this servant was God's power. And strength. However, this expression and this reality is unrecognized by most. Even though there's a saving power and grace and strength in the servant, people aren't going to see it. Why? The following verse says that because people are focused on external things. We learn from this stanza that the servant was very misunderstood because first he comes onto the scene, he comes, he was born in a very unassuming way. It was described as a, as a young plant that grows on a dry ground. I, I don't know how many of you guys tried to grow a plant. Even the healthy ones, it's like really hard. I kill it all the time because I just gave up. But one simply cannot expect much from a plant that grows in the dry ground. I think that's common sense. He has no extraordinary beauty or to this stanza attractiveness to draw people to his appearance was quite ordinary. Isn't that quite true in our lives too? We gravitate towards someone like her. That's why I gravitate toward my wife. <laughs> <laughs> She's not here though. <laughs> Finally, he is rejected because he takes on himself the pain and suffering of the world. I will get to that in a minute. Why would that be uh, a misunderstanding? Because people did not like to look at this subject. He is despised and rejected because there was nothing grand about him, nothing majestic, no good pedigree, they said, because he decides to take on the suffering of the entire world. It's quite the true in our own lives, too, right? When we look at people, we tend to look at not what's inside, but what we see from outside. And we kind of puff ourselves with that kind of thing too, with our education, how many degrees we have, what kind of school we went to, how much money we have in the bank. For some of us that have lived longer, have life experiences, those don't give us the satisfaction that we long for. We'll get to where I'm, we'll get to this in a little bit. Um, and let me ask you another question. How many of you guys think you really know who Jesus is? Or let me put it this way in a more positive way. What or who is Jesus to you in your life? When we read a passage like this, for some of us that grew up in church and grew up in this uh, and, and uh, around surrounded by many Christians. How can how can how can that, how can anyone not know about Jesus Christ? How can they not possibly recognize? Him? 
after all the miracles that they, they saw in the Judea and the, and the Sea of Galilee, near that region where Jesus did his earthly ministry, after hearing all those things, how can they still not know who he is? But it's not true. And in our own lives, when we don't make Jesus as a center, as the person in our lives, we make other things about you. Yeah, we, there's a tendency, I think, we, in, our, um, in, a, in a culture like New York, we compartmentalize. Jesus becomes just one checklist. It doesn't become totality of our life. Jesus just becomes a part of our life, just one part. Sometimes we functionally despise and reject them. What I mean that is that there are more important things in our lives, in this world, than what you believe about Jesus. So in this passage, Isaiah is talking about the, the tragic or just reality that took place, in, not only just in this day, but in the future days. Reality that we live in. That reality that is always there. We don't always recognize Jesus as our King and our Savior. So, in, 50, in, in, in chapter 53, we get to trace how the suffering starts. Suffering starts, gives humiliation. People don't recognize the king. People don't recognize Jesus for who he is. And in 53, 4 to 6, we come into, we, we, we learn of the suffering that Jesus provides. We learn why the servant is suffering. In short, he suffered for our sake. He was punished for our sake. But how does he suffer? Verse 4 to 6, let me read it to you again. It says, surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet he, yet we esteemed and striking, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid in the iniquity of us all. Jesus suffered. By taking on the offenses that he didn't commit, by bearing our griefs and sorrows. But we have to ask, why? Why? Okay, I get that reason that he, he is suffering for our sake. But what's really driving? What's the motivation? I think we can get a clue from our passage that what is motivating Jesus to suffer for our behalf is because of the fact that he cares, the empathy. You know, empathy is, uh, I think empathy is getting more uh, highlighted and it's elevated today in a spiritual leadership, but traditionally it's not been so. You know, you don't associate a person with a lot of empathy with a strong leader. You tend to associate strong leader with someone who's charismatic, you know, someone who can get stuff done, like someone who can push through. Hmm. But Jesus shows strength by showing that he really cares. Empathy. That's why he cared for the shit that has gone straight, that got lost in the song, this poem or song, this passage says that he understands pain. Have you ever tried to talk to people? This is, we have to do this very carefully, right? Because when people come to you for counseling and you want to be a good Christian and like, you always were like, oh, yeah, I know what you're going through. Like, and then you want to, like, reference, like, your experience. And, like, sometimes, like, you should just stop and just, like, hear them out. That's a better counseling method, okay? Just, okay, and then just listen. That's what 70% of counseling. That's what they teach you at seminary. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> we are so eager to, like, oh, you know what? I know what you mean. And, like, you want to talk about yourself. <laughs> but here... We can relate to Jesus because he, in fact, has experienced totality of pain. And, you know, when you actually talk to someone who actually gone through that experience, actually you could relate better. I don't know about you, but when I talk to someone who's never was in a position that um, were poor, I, I, I do wonder how could they relate to me? 
they were never poor. How would they even know that like it's not pleasant feeling to receive like second-handed like jackets or things like that? But when I talk to someone who has similar experience, like I can relate better, you know. I'm not to discount those that can't, like it's good that they didn't, you know, experience such, but you just my point is that you relate to someone who has similar experience, doesn't it? That's why we have a formed community of churches because we form similar experiences and we all get to learn one another that way. Well, going back to this a, a theme of suffering, what does this suffering do for us and for mankind? It says that it brings healing. The curse that was on us because of our rebellion and our sin against God is lifted. Our sins are forgiven because the servant decides to die and pay for the penalty of our sins. And it brings us right relationship with God. That's what Pastor Nick mentioned earlier, and it's the justification that God brings us to. Indeed, this servant, this Christ, this Messiah, the King of Kings, for our behalf, Isaiah prophesies that will be wounded and crushed. And it is true, isn't it? We learn in the New Testament, after today, after Palm Sunday, he will be beaten, he will be whipped, and he will be humiliated. And eventually he will be pierced, he will be nailed, and he will be crucified. But not for his own sin, he didn't do anything wrong, but for the sins of others. The wounds that he is inflicted with represents our mistakes, our sins. You know, um, it's not just about the physical pain, because certainly this is more than just the physical pain. Suffering servant, as I said, accomplished something very unique. Is that he will pay for our sins, something that we cannot do on our own. Jesus said he would do it, and it has to, has it relates to. His understanding of mission as servant. Um, none of us are servants, right? I am a servant to my wife, <laughs> and I know my mission at times. <laughs> Not always. That's what gets me in trouble. But when you are servant, when you um, you do what you're supposed to do, you don't really get to choose. If you can relate to that in this today's context. If you work at a job, if you're given a certain job, you kind of have to, you have a creativity in your job, but you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. And for servants, you're supposed to do what, you know, what your master says, what tells you to do. If you go clean the house, and you can't say, I don't want to clean the house, like, that's beneath me. Let the other servant, then you're not a servant. So Jesus, as the servant of the Lord, had a clear understanding. What he was supposed to do, even if that meant enduring the pain and the humiliation, because he has surrendered that service as the servant of the Lord. It doesn't mean that Jesus did not experience pain on the way we. In fact, because in his humanity, because he's a person, he experiences pain and, and, and the emotion that came with suffering. And Matthew, um, there's a passage that says, while uh, on the cross, he says, my God, my God, uh, why have you forsaken me? Expressing that sorrow, the pain that comes with being pierced on the cross. Eli, Eli, Ramaz, Sabat, 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 I'm sure you guys heard this phrase before. So Jesus is someone that we can really like because he does know what it's like to be in pain. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken? This is an expression of sorrow, pain by man in an extremely physical distress by some of the emotional distress. We learn through uh, the, uh, the, the story that takes during the Passion Week 
He was stripped of clothes, lashed with leather whips that had special solid objects that tied to it that were designed to inflict severe wounds. So we know that, that he took a lot of beatings for us. He was mocked. Because he was mocked, because people were, oh, if you are really king, why can't you save yourself? The image that I just depicted is not an image that actually we are meant to see, but this is an image that, because this is the image that we want to hide from. As a reality of pain and suffering, it's very disturbing, isn't it? I don't know about you, I cannot watch sad movies. <laughs> I know I'm 46, I'm still can't like, like I have to force myself to a sad ending. I just like happy ending. But the reality is that you and I live in, in a broken world. That sadness, pain happens all the time. And when we reflect the pain that Jesus endured on the cross, we get a better, clear picture of who Jesus is, what he has done for us. In the third stanza, uh, there's confession. There's a confession that Jesus will suffer. And in verse 79, our fourth stanza, we are told that, again, that Jesus was sinless, and yet he silently submitted himself to all the injustice that was laid on him. So in verse 1 to 3, we get to trace back how the suffering starts by humiliation. And verse 4 to 6, why he suffers, what he accomplishes, and 79 continues to build on that, we see a silent submission. And this ties into the fact that Jesus Christ had a clear understanding of his mission, that the service as a servant, he was to render to the Father, to the Master, to us to bear the cross and to die for others. Seventy-nine says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, but he was silent. He says, yet he opened not his mouth. In the modern language, he was very silent. You know, I don't know about you, but when I'm in pain, I scream. <laughs> I have a high tolerance for pain, I do. It's just, I think, my biological, I can tolerate a lot of pain, but still, after like, I mean, so drop something on my foot, I'm gonna scream. And if, and not just the physical pain, when I'm wrongly accused, gosh, after a while, like, you know, my capacity is this, and I, and I think I have a, in my head, I have a great capacity, I can take it, but in reality, I probably have this. And if I'm wrong, I'm like, wanted to bring it up. It's like, hey, hey, like, I didn't do anything wrong. It's you, I always want to put it like, you know, I want it to be right, okay? Because I am often right, I think, <laughs> but I'm often wrong. Um, let's think about uh, this second. Jesus remained silent and did not protest. Why is this remarkable? It's a natural reaction that uh, when you are great pain, uh, when you are experiencing a great pain, or when you are falsely accused, that you want to speak up. You want to like, oh no, you know I didn't do anything wrong. Well. Let me correct the situation. And you ask questions, why is this happening? Especially when you don't think you did anything wrong. And in our prayer, uh, don't we not, and when we encounter a situation, we don't really have an answer why it's happening. We're like, God, why is this happening? Can I do something wrong? That's kind of like a natural reaction. Like, what did, we, must, we often think that we must have done something wrong, that, that something bad happened. But sometimes we don't know. And sometimes often it's not because we did something wrong. God doesn't operate that way. But anyhow, it's pretty common. We ask this question. Why is this happening? Why? Why? 
We want to know why so much, right? I, 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 um, yeah, I only tell, I can only relate to the context of New Yorkers. New Yorkers really want to know about a lot of things. You have to know every detail. Is that true? Because you just want to know everything. That's why you ask a prayer, God, I want to know your will. I want to know your will. But God doesn't often give you like, this is what's going to happen. You do A, then it's going to have a B, C. But we often demand that. Let me think about this. You know, keep that in mind as we, as I, I want to explain a little more. In this uh, fourth stanza, verse 79, we're told, a servant. Was oppressed and afflicted for things that he didn't do. That is because two things. One, he knew his mission. And second, because he cares for the humanity. Those two reasons combined, he chose to go to cross. Um, actually, famous uh, Scottish preacher and uh, theologian, St. Clair Ferguson. Who I've actually taken a lot of the, his manuscript and I incorporated it to mine. Um, says this about stanza. I just, is I have with a Scottish accent, just as a phenomenon of a preacher. Um, I couldn't replicate or I couldn't rewrite, so I'm just going to read it to you. Not with the accent, it's my own accent. Now, why does he not protest? Because he understands that actually what is happening here. In his crucifixion is the due process of law. It is the due process of law that God against anyone who comes into his presence bearing sin. And what is happening here, wonder of wonder, is that Jesus, who has no sin of his own, is coming into the presence of God, having gathered up our sins, bringing our sins into the presence of God, understanding that he is the one who is going to undergo due process of law in our place so that the scripture teaches us that even though this was God's only son coming into his presence, bearing armloads of our sin, then due process of law would be effective. Yes, also, and indeed, especially in the case of his son, so he would be stricken, stricken, spinned by God and afflicted. He says much better because he has a cool Scottish accent. <laughs> Writes it really poetically. But let me unpack this a little more. Jesus knew he had to be oppressed and afflicted for the crimes that he didn't commit. And what were the crimes? Uh, if you look at the commentaries and the book and the Bible and this passage and other, the crimes that supposedly Jesus committed was this one. Um, there was a religious crime of blasphemy because he elevated himself as God. Well, he is God, but people didn't believe that. So there was that accusation. And there was a political crime of treason. People, what did they say and on this day? They said, Hosanna, the king of Israel. They elevated him to the king of Israel, but there was already a, a, a king. So there were, he was accused of two things. And this is really significant because Jesus accepted these charges because. Those are the charges that actually God have against you and I. Because we blaspheme God in our rebellious ways. When we put ourselves as the king of our lives, we create, we commit this treason. Jesus having that clear understanding that these are actually the, the charges that God has against the people of you and I. We blaspheme the name of Jesus rather than worship him with our heart, with our mind, and our soul. You know, I don't want to guilt trip anyone, okay? Because I fall into this all the time. In places like New York, where so much luxury is available, so much wealth is available, it's so easy to kind of just point everything to me, me, me. I want this, I want this, I want this. But scripture teaches us that hey, that's actually not the reality of God. That is not the will of God in your life. It brings us to the question that
Jesus Christ took on those charges for us. Pleading guilty, not guilty. Pleading guilty on our behalf. In order for us to be guiltless. Um, I remember this, I, I was, I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about um, just um, illustration. And uh, one illustration that I remember was, um, this This happened, wow, like not more than 30 years ago. I was 15 and a half. And uh, I was driving without a license. Um, <laughs> when you, I grew up in California, okay, so driving is a big deal. I'm like, you know, there's no uh, public transportation, but I mean, there is, but it's really hard to get around. So, you know, 15 and a half, I wanted to drive, and uh, I took my mom's car. Uh, actually, my sister's car. I don't know why she let me have a key. Um, uh, I did, and I got up. You know, I was driving fast, and you know, I got excited with my friend. Um, and so I got pulled over, and I, I got I got a ticket, so I had to go to the court. And you know, when you're 15 and a half, you need to have a, a adult with you. And uh, my dad uh, came with me, and we were uh, you know, we made it for our turn. And the judge called me up and says, "Like, what were you doing? What were you thinking?" Did you know, like, you're not supposed to drive? And I was like, mm -mm. and then, like, my dad asked the judge, hey, can I call for my, you know, uh, my son's behalf? I mean, because I was minor, you know, it's like, judge said, fine. And, and my, da my dad's broken English. I don't even know how he communicated. It's not really fluent, but he just said, my fault, you know? And it says, like, it's my fault because I, like, I'm, I'm his dad. And so something like, I didn't teach him or something like that, right? In his broken English. Basically, what he was saying was like, I'm going to, it's actually my fault because he's my son and I should have like taught him better. So like whatever punishment, like I want to take it. Yeah, I mean, that's a tactic, right? I think my dad. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, you know, what a judge, right? You know, uh, but you know, I did appreciate that. I do understand. I do think that my dad wanted uh he didn't want anything like punishment for me. Because you know, I didn't get my license, I didn't get to school when you turn 16. I don't, I don't want to walk or take the bus. In California, it's like school's really far, okay? So, <laughs> so uh judge said, okay, I got it, I got it. And uh, he did let me go. You know, actually the law actually says that if you if you if you're driving without a license, you have to wait till like eighteen, or like twenty one. Like there was definitely consequences, but because my dad stepped in and says, "Hey, like, can I take the you know whatever the consequences on his behalf?" Yeah. And um, judge, you know, what's he gonna do? You know, only fifteen and a half. He's like, "Chip is in, okay? I'm gonna give you a uh, uh, ten hours of community service, and let's just call it it, and like, go get your license, right?" So I was off the hook. But I think I was off the hook because my dad stepped in on my behalf. In a way, I mean, that was not a redemptive work. But Jesus, what he did for us, something like that in a much, much grander scale. Something that, according to the law, according to the justice, God's justice, we have to pay for our sin and our rebellious heart and our action. But Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to for all the sorrow, all the griefs that you have. Because that's what I came here to do. And because I understand what you're going through, I understand that you just can't do what I can. Is that I will do it. You know, the servant song um, doesn't end in suffering, however. That's what's great about the story, of the redemptive story of Christ. It doesn't end itself. So the servant and, and the first and the twelfth, uh, we see God's glory, exaltation of Christ. Again, why? Earlier in, in, the, in the message, I said, when you do something noble for yourself, out of yourself reasons, um, you're not really great. But when you do intentionally, Something very, very good for others out of that pureness. We often just seek to exalt them. And in this way, God, the Father, exalts the servant. 
And because Jesus really had this clear understanding of his mission, and because he was doing it for us, because he cared for us, he was able to endure this pain. Suffering was part of God's plan. It happened because God willed it. And Jesus said, okay, this is your will, and your will should be done. Jesus knew also, um, if you remember, um, that in Jesus, in this servant, in this servant of the Lord, the arm of the Lord was revealed. So Jesus knew also that he could endure because there is success and victory that comes with God's power and strength. And that's something that you and I fail to see. When life gets hard, we put the top, oh, no, I don't think God could help in this situation. Oh no, I gotta I gotta dig this stuff up. I gotta do it. You have this like as if God can help you. Like, ah, I think this is too much for God. Isn't there some element to that? We want to first like try to do it on our own, or sometimes we think, ah, oh, this is beneath God, or like let me do it on our own. It's like, ah, oh, I don't know if I can God come through this. We have this like very interesting way of thinking about things. Because Jesus understood that his suffering will result, result in and is a way that God will bring guilty people into guiltless. The justification of sinners to be in a right standing that they will be allowed to sit at the same table with God. In Jesus, in his suffering, death and resurrection are sin are forgiven. Do you believe that? Um, this wasn't a tragedy. This was a plan being fulfilled. We're in with, um, with a couple more uh, things. In light of this suffering servant in Jesus Christ, we too become servants of the Lord by sharing in his suffering and glory. Today's passage on suffering servant is a critical reminder that Jesus as the servant of the Lord has fulfilled the due process of legality and judgment that was bound to fall on humanity's sin, sin and rebellion against God. The theological truth and gospel reminders in servant songs points to Jesus, his atonement and his empathy for the broken sinner like you and I. But we cannot just let this message sit in our head and to come in our everyday interaction with people around us because by adopting, by emulating the servanthood. I think it is the empathy of Jesus that is most beneficial for any one of us in this room, especially for those of us that are in the ministry and church leaders. We often think that it's a skill set gift. Those are important things too, and you need that. But a spiritual leader without this empathy but Jesus Christ was a full of empathy and that is the very reason why he relates to us that is the very reason why he endured pain and suffering in chapter 53 Isaiah says that servant of the Lord is a man who solves and appointed with grief ministry or church without this culture without this ethos In my mind, lacks this true power, the arms of the Lord that is guaranteed in Jesus. Now, I think we too can act more wisely and become uh, Jesus's servants as we continue daily in our walk with the Lord and reflect on, on the hand that was pierced. Why was he pierced? For for, for my your junks and stuff, the sins. No, thank you. <laughs> That's what we say, though. We don't we say, no, thank you. I don't want to think about this. We say, no, thank you. Because thinking about this, there's element of pain. As we reflect on the cross, we, we say that in a, like in a, in a Christian language, oh, you got to think about it. We don't think of our cross because it hurts, because <coughs> there's a pain. But Jesus said, reflect on the cross. Through that pain, 
that he suffered. You need the pierced nails, the pierced hand. We see that he spoke clearly. See that oh, Yes, Jesus did really die for me. When we become honest and confess that he really was bruised for my sins, we would no longer be that sheep that has gone lost. Our sickness will be healed. And we find the peace that we long for in Jesus. We find the comfort knowing that what Jesus has accomplished on the cross <clears throat> assure us that we be in the right standing with God the Father and we did not the community that is offered to us. The reason Jesus is the suffering servant is because he fully trusted in God in his plan and he endured the pain. He didn't say, oh, this service is beneath me. I cannot do this. Let others. But as a true servant, he said, if this is your will, it won't appear. I will endure it. Jesus is a person that relates to us in his identity. And this is why we can call Emmanuel God with us. Let's pray. Thank you, God, uh, for coming to us, form of man, for our sins, to die for us, Lord, so that we could be in a right standing with you. Um, though um, we are on a path of destruction, you corrected that path for us, and you said, I am the way. So we cling into that passage and we follow you for that. Lord, um, today is a reminder that um, how fickle for God our hearts are. Your people, once who praise you with the same lips, Hosanna, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, Messiah. But easily, oh God, turn our backs when things don't go as our way or we expect it, oh God. Lord, give us faith that can endure pain and the sorrow that comes with life. Allow us to live a life of abundance and generosity for God that comes from knowing you. For God, I pray that our message of the gospel doesn't always just stay in our head, but it also gets carried out in our everyday life with our neighbors, for God, with our co-workers, with people around us, for God. As you went around your, during your ministry, as you proclaimed your goodness and the kingdom to come, you also healed with that and fed those that are hungry with that. So allow this message, allow Jesus Christ to really touch us and transform us. Uh, once again, we thank you for uh, this morning, for God, for this service, for us to come together as a body of Christ, as a family, to worship you, God. Lord, I pray that uh, we will continue to worship you, Lord God, throughout the remaining time with all our hearts and all our mind and all our soul. Mm. We praise you and we love you and pray all this in your sons of Jesus. Amen. Amen.